Hi, I'm Ross Gelseth, and I just want to thank you for being with us as we continue our focus on winning words, how to influence and impact others with your words. Today, we're going to spend time discussing relationships. Relationships are two or more coming together, and how is it that we can use our words to build stronger relationships? As we go deeper into this conversation about relationships today, and as you listen in, I'd like to have you think first and foremost about all of the relationships you have. Now, relationship by definition means there's two or more, and in our case as humans, it's people that we connect with. And sometimes those are intentional connections, sometimes those are family connections, sometimes those are connections that happen. So for example, the phone rings and you pick it up. You may or may not know who's on the other end of the phone, but that's the beginning of a relationship. What was so intriguing for me is when I did the research phase of my book, Winning Words, over and over the people I interviewed began talking about somebody else in their life who had made influence where it made a difference in them. And they talked about how important that relationship was to them. When I started the book, I really wasn't focused on there was going to be a chapter on relationship, but the word relationship kept coming up over and over and people telling tearful stories about someone else having an impact on them. So I felt like there's got to be a chapter on relationship. And Fulton Buntain, who was without question a great mentor in my life, used to say about relationships, the better you love, the better you live. The better you love, the better you live. And so as we begin this discussion today, I just want you to think about all of the relationships that you have. And are they where you want them to be? Or do you have some work to do on those relationships? If you're like me, I've always got one or two I need to work on. Today, our guest is Erin Francis, who I've known for 12 years. She came and her family was enrolling at Life Christian Academy, her two daughters, and she applied for a position, a key position in a school, in any organization, is who's at the front counter? Who's that person that's receiving, you know, in this case, students, but also parents who pay the bill for private education and anyone else who comes in. So Erin, not only is she the receptionist to help deal with middle school and high school students at Life Christian Academy, but talk to us also about the other roles that Erin Francis has. <laughs> uh, well, I've been married. It'll be 27 years this May to my sweetheart, my total love and best buddy ever, Matt Francis. And then we have two grown daughters, which went by so fast. Uh, one is married, so son-in-law also. Um, and then, of course, mom and my dad's in heaven. Um, sister, you know, I mean, just the list goes on and on of all the, the different relationships in my life. And all of those relationships done well need to be given attention to. Would you agree? Absolutely. Nothing gets better by neglect. And when it comes to relationships too, who is going to go first to help build relationship? In some cases, 
to help restore relationships, in some cases, to rebuild a relationship that has drifted apart. Someone has to initiate that. Someone has to be willing to go first. So today, as we talk about relationships, what have you learned? For example, you deal with a lot of people at the counter, some of which you know quite well, some of which you don't know very well. But what's the what's part of the keys to building what I would call at that point a quick relationship based upon who's coming and walks in the office? Right. Um, every single person in front of me at any given moment, they are completely valuable. And everyone needs something from me. They need a question answered or they need me to do them a favor. And so it's very important that I always am able to answer their questions. And if I don't know what the answer is, I wait, have them wait a minute. I get them the answer. Um, and then the favors, oftentimes it will be hand this to my student in a little while or do this at 2 o'clock this afternoon. And I just have to stay very organized in these very quick relationships that I have with these parents so that I don't let them down and that they know they can trust me and I will do what, they, what I said I was going to do. Let's go back to what you first said. Every person in front of you is what? Valuable. Valuable. So you treat them with value. Yes. Yes. Every person is valuable. That's intriguing. Let's start talking about the relationships that many of us have. First, we grow up as a teenager and we have friends. And so those friends relationships, what did you learn over the course of time about the friends that you first started having and maybe still have looking back on your younger, your youth, so to speak, and all the way to now, relationships with friends. What's the key to relationships with friends? Well, in the beginning years, I grew up very, very sick. Um, mm -hmm. And so any friendships I had, my mom was extremely intentional to invite, you know, someone over to the house um, to play with me. And uh, like, I'm talking like five, six, seven years old. And I treasured those few friendships I had because I was at school so little. And I knew that whoever was coming over to spend time with me really cared about me. So you valued relationships, even at a young age. Absolutely. And because you valued it, you value others and the relationships you've come to have as well. Are there any of those childhood friends that to this day you still stay in touch with. Yes, absolutely. What about sustaining the relationship? What's that about? How do you do that? Right. Um, definitely staying in touch with them, um, seeing how they're doing. And I, I pray a lot. So I will um, just pray for people a whole lot. And a lot of times I'll reach out to them. Social media can be a good thing, but it can be a bad thing. But I use it as a good thing where I reach out to them and let them know, I've, you know, they've crossed my mind and I've been praying for them today. And I do that really often. And so um, I just kind of, I really enjoy knowing that there's really no one in my past I can't get a hold of through social media and love on and encourage. And a lot of times those are private messages that the world never knows, but I really, I really treasure all those relationships. Uh, a powerful phrase that uh, many of us have heard, but in order to get a friend, you have to be a friend. So it starts initially by wanting relationship and then being uh, willing, so to speak, to work at it, so to speak. Right. Uh, in that regard, life moves along for us and we meet that right person, so to speak, and marriage comes 
and you're laughing a little bit, <laughs> but you know, that spousal relationship, right. you know, what happens at home doesn't necessarily stay at home, you know, but let's talk about that marital relationship and what you find in terms, particularly uh, from a standpoint you're attentive to, but talk to us about the words that you use to help build that marital relationship with Matt. Um, the very most important thing is to keep Christ in the center and to spend time doing that and go to church. And that to me is the paramount key to everything. So if someone is trying to do this without Christ or church, I just don't even have advice for them because I do, wouldn't even know where to start without keeping Jesus in the middle of it. Um, Matt and I have been very, very blessed to have a, a wonderful marriage. We were best friends in the very beginning, and we've just stayed that way. And so early on, I think two things that mean a lot to me. When we were first married, um, Matt is Mr. Even Kill. Just nothing really gets to him. He's always positive. And I can be kind of high and low, high and low. You know, something comes my way. I can be a little ruffled by that. And I got a hold of a book, and it was by Tim LaHaye on relationships. And it explained the different personality types. And I know when you and I did SLI together at Life Christian, I suggested... Student Leadership Institute? Yes. I suggested that we teach the kids about personality types because I think that's a very valuable key. And then the other thing, really early on in our marriage, we decided we were never going to get so comfortable with one another that we wouldn't treat each other also like a cordial friend, meaning I would never speak to him less than I would speak to you or address you as my boss. Now, we are very comfortable in our home, but we will not just allow a laziness in our speech to one another in the way of I can just totally rip him apart. That is not going to happen. If we are completely frustrated, we just literally go our separate ways for a few moments, gather ourselves and come back. Most of the time for him and I, it's not really been that way. We just, we kind of see eye to eye on most everything and we get along. I find that intriguing because when you talk about relationship, part of what I heard you say is you, by taking that position that you're not going to treat one another any less than you would a cordial friend, you're really, you're really establishing the framework, the foundation for the words you will use and you're protecting the relationship you have. You're not going to let one of you use words that will disparage the relationship, but you've set that as a ground rule. I think that's so wise because so many times the emotions of life get to us and we all at some point in time say, oh, I Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. You know, and the whole theme of my book is winning words. Well, winning words are those words that are positive, that influence people that they want to hear. I love that, what you said, to not treat one another any less than you would a cordial friend. Um, let's talk, too, about in your home, you and Matt, wife and husband, two children growing up. Uh, did you, the two of you have a conversation about what it is, what, what example your two daughters would pick up from you two by living in your home? Yes, absolutely. And there again, it goes back to a Bible centered home and a, a Christ centered home. 
And we determined that's exactly how it was going to be and um, that we were going to put a lot of effort into those things. And then we would watch the fruit of that come out in our children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The example would lead to the outcome in their lives as well. And that's happened. Right. I, yes. I know that's happened. Yes. Because I know Praise two the daughters. Lord. Yes. <laughs> um, any other little tidbits that you'd leave with people today about the marital relationship? Right. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who they've had pockets in their marriage that are very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I just want to leave with them how much God loves them and cares about them and wants them to have the comfort of the Holy Spirit as they're walking through moments that are very difficult with their spouse. And God is very interested in healing marriages, restoring marriages, and bringing people to a whole nother level of living with their spouse that they might have had some issues with and watch them grow together in the Lord and give you wisdom when you're needing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those, as you say, those pockets come and how you deal with that time beginning of that pocket to the end of that pocket and see your way through it and so on. Let's talk a little bit more about the parenting aspect. You've raised two uh, teenage daughters, one of which has now begun uh, a marriage. And uh, so in that, what's the mom relationship to two daughters and words? And what kind of words did you find yourself using as your daughters got older they could better understand and relate to. And raising teenagers, not easy. So what kind of words did you find yourself using? The absolute first and foremost words have got to be your heavenly father about your children. And when our oldest was two and I was a stay-at-home mom, I was pulling my hair out. Very active two-year-old. Did not like the little tiny word no at all. And I went to God and I was like, Father, I, I need you. I need you here in this. We were going to church. We were reading our Bible. We were doing everything we knew to do. And I was still beating my head against the wall with this little girl. And um, God led me to go to her doorpost at her room and pray when she was asleep. Not a strict schedule, just whenever I needed it. And um, so I immediately at nap time, I did that. I prayed by her doorpost, laying my hands on it. And I'm telling you, when she got up the next morning, she was a different child. And the love between Prayer her works. and I, Prayer it works. was unbelievable. The residue of that, that lasted about three weeks. And I'm like, okay, it's time to do it again. I have never stopped doing that. It says in the word that God knows the desires of our heart right. before we speak it. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, you know, you're praying over that door and his attentiveness to the prayer, you know, he, the outcome you wanted, he knew as well. Right. He knew the outcome he wanted in right. that regard. Right. Uh, let's talk about not necessarily an incident, but a time when you had to be, it was a challenging time in terms of a daughter, in my case, raised two sons. And what did you learn from dealing with the difficult moments uh, in terms of words you use and what to say or... Maybe, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said. Yeah, yeah. What do you learn? Absolutely. What do you learn? <laughs> um, well, when you're raising women and you're a woman, you can be very emotional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you have to take a deep breath and not say things that would scar them forever. Mm 
and because it is an emotional moment. And I tried to constantly think about that even when, you know, it was rough trying to get out the door to get somewhere. Particularly, it was the special events that was the hardest. And um, my girls were super good about getting ready really quick and getting out the door, but it was the special times, you know, and just really- A little tension anyway. A little tension, absolutely. And endeavoring to still walk in love. And it was more important to me that we left the house peaceful Mm -hmm. than we were there on time. So yes, Mm -hmm. The Francis family might have been a few minutes late, but we weren't there fake. Aaron, would you repeat that? We wanted to leave the house. Peaceful. Peaceful. Yes. As compared to. Uh, okay. So, you know, you could fight in the car all the way to the building. Yeah, yeah. And then you get out and you put the fake smiles on. Yeah, yeah. We really endeavored not to do that. Oh, that's good. We, we tried. We very, tried our very best. Sometimes there were times you had to be somewhere at a certain time, and you just said, we we're going to have to finish this later. Um, but, you know, yeah. yeah. But it wasn't like we duked it out every time we had to do somewhere to go. We pretty much just, I'm telling you, when you raise your kids in the Word and you raise them in church, you bypass so much. And back to the doorpost for a minute. I've talked to so many parents who did not know what to do. They, they didn't know they really were at a loss. Their child was going through something. And I went to God one time and I would say, God, I really need an instruction manual for these kids. Mm-hmm. And he said, Aaron, any instruction manual you get for like an appliance, some of it is written in English. Some of it is written in other languages. And he's like, go to me in prayer and I will help you read the English of what they need, but I will also help you know what they're going to need down the road or what they are kind of stepping into that you need to know about. And he has always cued me and Matt on these moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too with parenting, uh, you know, the choice I, I learn from my wife because raising two sons, uh, sometimes after the two boys had gone to bed, she would say to me, Ross, the boys talk to me about something or one of them talk to her. And you can learn quite a bit from your spouse because the boys wouldn't, we weren't always comfortable talking to me about an issue. Maybe I had said the wrong thing or I'd been a little hard on them or I called them to accountability and they didn't quite understand why. So the whole parenting relationship, I think you got to do it together. Mom and dad together communicating with one another about how they're going to parent their children, but also receiving feedback from my wife was so invaluable because I remember the tone of voice when Ronnie would say to you, you know, the boys don't quite, they didn't quite understand that or they really felt like you're out of line in that case. It caused me to pause and it caused me to reevaluate. Well, maybe I was too hard on them or maybe, oh, I can see why they did not understand but the relationship with the mom and or with the dad joined together i think is essential when it comes to the parenting process and the parenting relationships and helping children young people see mom and dad together in unity and how they're parenting as well it's uh, so important let's talk about you the minister you the pastor So you have a pastor's heart, you have a minister's heart to help people, to impact people, to influence people. When it comes to that ministering relationship, Mm 
that pastoral relationship. Uh, it's a it's more than a little bit a mentoring relationship because people listen to what you say, they hang on to what you say. Talk about that relationship. What do you sense that people are looking for in their pastor, their minister, their their leader, so to speak, spiritually? Right. They are looking for trust. There's mm -hmm. so much broken trust. Mm -hmm. um, and what who we are as ministers is a direct reflection of who God is. Mm -hmm. To and, us. To yes. Us. Yes. And so when they have so much brokenness in the world, they're looking for that, that trust. And can I trust God? Because there's times when you're asking God for something you don't get instantly. You have to have that trust that it's coming. You've got what you prayed for when you asked. And so, and I, of course, love, you know, but not this human, emotional, very natural love, but a godly love for people that will sink just that level deeper than the natural human love ever could. Mm -hmm. In terms of the choice of words, when it comes to ministering to people, uh, when you talk about that brokenness, so here you are and you're preparing a message or a teaching to a group of people, you're gonna use significant number of words, knowing that so many people are giving you their attention while the rest of their life, at least some part of their life, may be significantly broken. You can't necessarily tell it by them walking in, sitting down. They've signed up to be in your class or there on a Sunday morning service or whatever the case might be, but there's a brokenness. So in terms of when you look at your words and you look at your influence of what God would have you to say, what's a common theme for Erin Francis in terms of her words? I, I think relationship with the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is a huge mm -hmm. thing that- Higher power. Yes, yeah. and and helps people so much. Um, and it's funny we're talking about this because I have thought a lot lately about how grateful I am that I have a nine to five job, so to speak, mm -hmm. because um, I'm I am a pastor. I do have a pastor's heart, but I'm actually called as an evangelist to travel and preach, and even bring people to Jesus. And so, but I do it all with a pastor's heart, even though I'm not an, a, a pastor. But Lately, I have been realizing how much I enjoy my friendships with a, a whole variety of people so that I am very keen on how people receive, mm -hmm. and especially mm -hmm. the younger important, generation. Important, yep. Because I yes. use words sometimes. I'll say to the kids, I know I sound like a broken record, and they just smile and walk out of the office. And one day I asked one of them, do you even know what I mean when I say that? And they're like, not a clue. I go, why don't you say anything? And they're like, oh, you're just so cute. I just figured I didn't even know. So I have to be careful that I don't even use language they don't understand. And I think even you can be very, if you've been a Christian a long time and you're trying to minister to someone who's never known Jesus, you can accidentally use all kinds of words they really don't understand. And so I endeavor constantly, I can only be who I am. And I can only use the words because I was brought up in Southwest Virginia. However, God can help me know how to reach people and say the right thing at the right time and break it down for them. So, Which is really the theme of my book. The theme of the book, Winning Words, it's about influencing and impact others with your words. Now, you just touched on something that 
I've known for a long time, but I just realized it again. And I think you have a window on the world, so to speak, that most parents don't have because they raise their teenagers in their home, might be one, two, three, whatever the number. In addition to your two, <laughs> you interact every day with hundreds of students. Hundreds and parents call Exactly. Me. So in that regard, when you look at here we are in 2020, and if you were to give advice to parents as to what teenagers are looking for, what do they yearn for in terms of words? They really believe that social media is what they want. Mm. And they really believe, this is my take on yeah, it, yeah. and they really all believe they can be famous somehow, some way. And they want to be, and they really want to be heard. Um, they do not trust our generation quickly. Our generation has very much let them down in their minds. And so to even be a true friend to this generation, you have to allow some time for them to get to know you and know that they can trust you because that trust has really been broken down. I'm not talking any one child. Mm -hmm. I'm no. talking right. all of them yeah. as a whole. Oh, that's good. And so I think that's why I keep going back to trust so much. But um, words are very cheap to them, very, very cheap. And so you have to really live and, and prove to them that you really care about them. And they don't just trust everybody at large. They pick and choose who they trust. And if I, I am very blessed to be trusted by a good chunk of them, if not hopefully all of them. Right. And I do not count that as a little thing. That is a very big deal to me. So in that regard, in terms of parents, they're too, they're continually building trust with their children. Absolutely. The older the child gets, the more they have to Absolutely. continue sustaining and building and strengthening that trust factor. Absolutely. Yeah. And in the home, you can just all have this thing where everybody goes their own way and it looks like everything is good and you don't really know your children that much. And the only way I know to tell you how to really get to know your children Prayer first, asking God to reveal what's really going on with my children. And then secondly, having time where you put the devices away. And you know what? For us, that is not mealtime. That is not mealtime. It's in the car. And they like, hey, mom, you want to go do something with me, even though they can perfectly drive themselves? Absolutely. We get in the car. Soon as the engine goes on, they just start talking. And it is, it is beautiful. They've learned it. I, I, yes. And I've heard other parents say that in the car is when their kids talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As compared to everybody plugs into their device right. and it's isolation. Yeah. Oh, and well, I mean, you can all even be in the home doing something together and nobody gets into a deeper conversation, which you're not supposed to at all times. But I think it's finding your time when your child will open up and talk to you about those other moments. For some kids, it might be bedtime. And, you know, it also really depends on their age. When they're little, it is bedtime. When they're teenagers, they put themselves to bed. That's not really a time they want to talk. Yeah. You got to find good. that sweet that's spot. Good. Discernment, discernment. Yes. Let's talk about the workplace. You interact with a lot of employees every day. Um, let's talk about the confidentiality part of the workplace. You get to know people, you start to see some of their burdens, you see their highs, you're able to discern their lows. Let's talk about confidentiality and 
how it is you protect one another, so to speak, or you're just sensitive to what should be said and what shouldn't be said. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And I think I'm really blessed because um, even though I've been at Life Christian for 12 years, I'm in a lot of respects, I'm one of the newer people there among the staff. They've all been there, a lot of them double the time that I've been there. So there are very close relationships. Um, and I love that. And so I just want to be a part of that and definitely protect um, the, you know, the stories that we share and the life moments we share together. We're with each other 40 hours a week. And sometimes you're with them more than you are waking hours with your own family. Yes, yes. Yeah, in that regard, you know, the workplace has become, uh, just my perspective, you know, the, the creation of the human resources aspect of an organization, so essential. At the same time, uh, relationships are really a function of family and coming together, being together, building the relationship, and real frankly, uh, making it easier on the human, res human resources office right? because we can do it ourselves, so to speak. We can be unified. Um, what do you think is a key aspect of trust in the workplace? You mentioned trust in the marriage. Right. You've talked about trust with raising children, having children, teenagers trust you. Talk about trust in the workplace. So, well, if you look at the, the hierarchy of any workplace, there's, you know, the bosses on down. And usually the boss either has a board above him or someone above him. And no matter how high up you go, typically there's someone over you. So one thing I loved about my Bible school, a class was submission and authority. And it talked a lot about having those submissive relationships. And I'm not talking about where you're just completely stepped on, right. but where you also have authority over who's under you, but you respect who's over you. And they taught such a valuable thing that submission is when you obey, but you don't necessarily agree but you do it with a really good attitude. And not everything is going to be something you completely agree with that you are asked to do. And you need to have a really good attitude while doing it. And you need to let your own coworkers come to their realization of how they feel about it and be very careful about the water cooler conversations. And I have realized... The water cooler gets blamed for a lot of things. A lot of things. In, in our culture, that term, <laughs> water cooler. What happens at the water cooler? Right. <laughs> um, I have found that when I am positive and I go to work having spent some time with the Lord, um, and when I am so positive... So you build yourself, so to speak. Exactly. Yep. And I have not just gotten out of bed, but I have literally set my thoughts which are going to become my words for the day on a course. Yeah, that's good. And when I get there, I 100% influence those around me. Yes. And the way my Preparation. desk is, yes, the way my desk is set up, I see it as a cockpit. And from my desk, we are going to fly to a destination. This sounds corny, sorry, but this is, works for me. This is your life. Every day, every eight hours, we are going to fly to a destination. And we are going to get either somewhere positive and good, and we've had a good day, and we've really blessed these kids, and we have done good as coworkers, and, and we've just done a really good job today, or we're going to miss the mark, and we're not really going to get to our destination. And even the other day, it, you know, I also noticed that when you're grouchy, you get very distracted. Grouchy is sticky and attracts grouchy. 
And when you're positive, that also attracts positive. And the other day I had a moment at my desk where I could see a young person. He just needed a moment. And I went and I had just a moment with them and I was able to pray with them. And they said, this completely turned me around. And if I had been in a grouchy mood or just really upset about something, I would have missed that moment. So it's not being fluffy and pie in the sky and just Pollyanna about everything. But it is, you're going to live your life. You're going to have moments where you're frustrated. But what are you going to do in that moment, especially in the workplace, when you've got that next somebody in front of you that you've got to give your best service to? Are you going to bring the grouchy or are you going to bring, no, that that may need a conversation later. That may need some prayer later. But right now, I'm going to take care of the person in front of me with a smile and a true smile. That's good. One of the notes I made in preparation for today's uh, session uh, came to me from a colleague, a friend of mine, George Pilot, who has spent a, decades in real estate sales in this community. And when we uh, prepared the transcript of my book, the manuscript, um, uh, I interviewed George and he talked to me about the difference between transactional sales and transformational sales. And what you touched on, Aaron, is the transformation because you're receiving a conversation from someone, but you're helping them transform to where they want to go as compared to just, oh, what do you need? And you're another person in front of them, another number at the counter, so to speak. And, and George said in all of his years, he never worried about making the sale as much as he was concerned about listening and helping people get where they wanted to go. That servant's heart that you've displayed for so so many years. And he would see it as transformational tra- as compared to transactional. Well, I just want to thank you so very much as we uh, talk about this subject of, of relationships. I've watched you over the years work with so many different people and you are a gifted communicator and you understand the relationship word so so well and that's why you've been so successful in the roles that you play so to speak as we close this out today the other aspect of words that we have not touched on in any podcast session to this point is the written word when it comes to relationships i've found that relationships can be greatly enhanced with the power of what I call the handwritten note. The handwritten note, when it is received, sends an immediate message to the recipient. The person who opens that envelope, the person who sent this to me has taken the time to sit down and write a note to me. And that handwritten note gives you or me the opportunity to convey thoughts to a person and the thoughts are very intentional on my part as to what I want them to receive from me. And more cases than not, it's a way to commend people, to pat people on the back, to thank people, to encourage people. I walk around the halls of our school that I was the head of for 26 years. I walk into classrooms And what do I see? I don't see many typewritten letters on bulletin boards, but I see handwritten notes that people got 12 years ago, (laughs) 10 years ago, and they're got those up there. Why? Because they're important to them. So as we close this out today, we talk about relationships. I'd like to ask you to consider something. 
Thanks so much for joining us today for this session on relationships. But let me give you an assignment that I can guarantee you will get you a positive response. In the next seven days, I would ask you to each day write a handwritten note, one note to one person that you know is on your heart and your mind that you can reach out to. It may be something as simple as to your spouse or your child or a friend that you haven't had contact with or somewhat in the last few days that there's been a little edge to the conversation. Perfect way to put some sweetness on the relationship, so to speak. So do consider writing the handwritten note. Thanks again for joining with us today. And there's nothing more important, really, relationship. God is a God of love. And that love is extended to each of us. And what do we do with it? We have an opportunity to be loved to other people. So extending a relationship. Aaron, thanks so very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. You're a great teacher and a great model of this. But to all of you, watch your words, be intentional about your words, and let your words be encouragement to other people. Everybody is looking for a little bit more encouragement. Everybody's looking for hope. You can be that encouragement. You can be that hope. Thanks again for being with us.